0: And these aren't Black parents, these aren't coastal parents, these are middle America white parents who are going, oh my God, racism is real, and I got to talk to my kid. And so the chart just goes straight up. Literally, we doubled and then doubled and then doubled and then doubled the next day, just literally compounding itself because folks were scrambling with a way to start that discussion.
1: I'm Talib Vizram and this is World Changing Ideas, where we investigate how leading innovators are solving our most challenging issues. On today's episode, talking to kids about racism. this episode, we're going to talk about an issue that can't be solved by an invention or a product. It's an elusive concept, but one that pervades almost every facet of society. Racism has been the architect of many injustices, and it's something this country is continuing to face on a daily basis. After George Floyd's murder last year, many people were forced to reconcile with how racism formed the United States, and how it affects nearly all of our governing systems. According to the writer Lovey Ajayi Jones, people were forced to get uncomfortable. And that's a good thing.
2: Because being quiet is comfortable, keeping things the way they've been is comfortable. And all comfort has done is maintain the status quo. So we've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable by speaking these hard truths when they're necessary. But then people like me, the professional troublemakers, should not be the only ones who are committed to being these dominoes who will always fall out the planes, or being the first one to take this hit. People are so afraid of these acute consequences, not realizing that there are many times when we walk in rooms and we are some of the most powerful people in those rooms. We might be the second most powerful, third most powerful. And I firmly believe that our job in those times is to disrupt what is happening.
1: As the Black Lives Matter protests were going on, Many parents undertook the task of confronting racism, some for the first time.
2: I would never recommend that you shield your child from racism as a topic, because as important as it is, the conversation about racism, it's about anti-racism. And what does that mean? That means that we teach our kids, not that we're all alike, but that we can have the same values and our differences can suggest beauty. Our differences can be something that we learn. So when there is an incident that is unfair. There's an incident where somebody tries to use their power in a way that's destructive. We need to address it as a teachable moment.
1: That's psychiatrist Dr. Janet Taylor. She said parents of all races can expose their children to books that have characters that are black. And when their child says that something has happened to them because of the color of their skin or because of their hair texture, parents need to listen and show them they're doing something about it.
2: It doesn't mean being angry, but showing them in a calm, thoughtful way about how to handle an insult or slight, and especially to other adults, to make sure it doesn't happen again. As important as it is to talk about difficult topics like racism, which we know has existed for a long time, you know, when kids are three or four, as a child of color, they will experience incidents, whether it's a a classmate that says something, a teacher. So whether we know or not as parents, it's happening. We can no longer ignore the pain that racism causes to our children.
1: As a parent addressing racism with his own children, my guest today wanted to talk to them in a frank manner about how to approach a world in which racism is pervasive. Jelani Memory is an entrepreneur, CEO, and founder. And most recently, he added book publisher to his resume. He's also a Black man living in the U.S., So he set out to explain to his kids what racism is and how it'll affect their lives. What was initially one book has blossomed into an entire media company called A Kid's Company About. He titled his first book, A Kid's Book About Racism. So, Jelani, what was your kind of literary approach to writing that book? How did you kind of decide on the style that you wanted it to be?
0: Yeah. I was really influenced by, and anyone who's read my book will notice this. I was really influenced by the book with no pictures by BJ Novak. It's a book that I read again and again to my kids and they loved it. And I sort of thought, gosh, what if this book had a message? What if this book was really trying to say something? It's fun. It's, it's playful but what if it was actually trying to import some big, grand, amazing, important idea to my kids? Uh, and so that just sort of sat in the back of my head. And when I had a new son on the way, Solomon, who's now three, but at the time you know, was, was on the way, I wanted him to make sense of what his experience was likely going to be as not just a new baby of color, but eventually a kid of color and then a, an adult of color. And that spawned uh, into me thinking about my kids, understanding my experience more, but also their own. And I have a, a wild and crazy family, four stepkids, two biological kids, the so six kids total. Um, my four stepkids are white and, and my two biological kids are black. And the literary approach was really about how do I explain racism in a way to my kids where I'm being honest? where i'm not pulling any punches and i'm not trying to downplay it or make it friendly and cuddly so that they can wrap their heads around it i was sort of want to communicate it and all of its gravity and ugliness and so the literary approach was let's keep it really simple let's take away all of the artifice so no illustrations or we're not going to overly design this thing and I'm going to write from my own experience. I'm not an academic when it comes to race or racism, but I have my own experience that I can speak from. And so that drove a lot of what that book became.
1: I just want to list a few of the, the books that you have published already. So you have um, a kid's book about racism, white privilege, uh, anti-Asian hate, immigration, climate change, autism, anxiety, death, body image, being non-binary, being transgender. This is a kind of a diverse list of, of topics, Yeah. but they're heavy topics for kids. How do you kind of go about engaging them? I mean, are they kind of in story form or are they kind of just kind of plainly telling the facts?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Well, one, I do think they are heavy topics, but I don't know if kids always perceive them in that way, meaning they don't carry all the baggage with them. We grownups, we bring in a lot of stuff into these conversations where kids bring curiosity, they bring questions, and they bring their own ideas and experiences. In terms of the way that we try and communicate to kids, first is everything is personal with our books. We anchor it in the personal identity of the author. It's always from their perspective, it's always from their first person. And I think that allows kids to both see themselves in the work and the ideas and the stories as well as not be too tied to it often what happens is when kids read or are read to with one of our books they think about their own lives their own experiences they're not locked into the the dragon that can fly and is trapped in some right they're just not locked into the story in that way they're actually thinking more expansively about their own life as they interact with it and then lastly we just give it to them straight. We just just don't lie to them. That's the one thing that grownups get wrong when it comes to these tough topics is they lie. They skirt the truth. They make up stuff. They use euphemisms. Hmm. And kids, they're not having any of that. And look, we do that as adults because we don't think kids can handle it. But the truth is we're the ones that get uncomfortable, afraid, scared, don't know what to say. Kids, are they're totally able to converse and talk about. They just don't have all the language to be able to do it. So part of what our books do is give them the language.
1: Right. What kind of age do you aim the books at? And what has the response from kids been? Do they kind of enjoy reading about these topics?
0: Yeah. So our books are designed primarily for five to nine-year-olds um, with really the 7 year old as the archetypical kid that reads our book um, and often with a grown up a few things are true one they've started school two they can read three they're having experiences outside of the home so not just with their family members and four you know they have real questions like real questions not just the cute cuddly ones anymore and so meeting them there i think is really rather important and it's important to meet them there as opposed to like 11 12 13 14 because by that point, one, they're not reading kids' books with their parents anymore. But two, you know, they've got a smartphone in their pocket. They're already having these conversations with their friends at school. If you haven't had the conversation by that point, it's, it's not going to happen, right? The response from kids has been incredible. Kids feel seen. Kids feel known. Kids feel heard. And they're empowered. They're empowered with that information to to be better, to do better, to to love those folks around them that are either like them or not like them at all. And, and most importantly, to love themselves the way that they are. All of our books end up circling around some message that really empowers the kid to feel their feelings, to be okay feeling their feelings, to talk about their feelings, but also to be comfortable in their own skin.
1: How do some of the books kind of align with the education that The kids are already getting so, for example, if a five year old or a seven year old is reading, you know, a kid's book about sexual abuse, for example, I mean, some of them probably haven't learned about sex yet, or or, you know, are learning about sex, or maybe I'm being naive, but um, you know, (laughs) uh, how do you raise a topic that uh, they might not have encountered yet in their education?
0: Yeah, so all of our books are designed to be conversation starters, not conversation enders. Um, So they're the introduction into something, whether that's a topic as heavy as, as sexual abuse or something as fun as creativity or adventure. The idea is that we're teaching them the words and the language and the context around the subject. There will be ideas in there that they've never heard. And we're also accounting for there'll be other things that maybe they should have learned that they might not have. So we might need to teach them inside of this book. And that is a difficult challenge. You don't want to boil the ocean with every book and try and include every idea, but you have to anchor somewhere. And what's beautiful is anchoring in the personal story is really wonderful. And hopefully, as a conversation starter, kids have all sorts of questions at the end, right? And they're talking with the grown-up. We like the say internally at our company that we're not really selling books. We're selling the conversation that comes afterwards, that thing that every adult wants with their kid, which is just to talk to them, right? For their kid to have a real conversation, for them to share how they feel, where they're at, their experiences, you know, in terms of where they're at in their education, every family, every home, every school is different. And in a lot of ways, these topics get shied away from, not because they're not important to address at those ages, as nobody can come to a consensus on who should do it, how they should do it, and what's the right way to do it, right? And so what is happening is this stuff gets kicked down the road, and not just kicked down the road into middle school or high school, like college, you know? I'm sure you could find plenty of adults that didn't start to grapple with the idea of racism, until they were in undergrad or graduate school, right, or maybe in the workplace, that's the wrong time to start those conversations. As, as a human being, forget about being a kid; just as a human being, right. So we're focused on starting those conversations early and as early as possible. So for sexual abuse, by the time a kid is four, five, and six, it is likely that they can have had an experience with sexual abuse directly. They might not have language to talk about that or to conceptualize it or to make sense of it, but it's not like a rare thing that happens every once in a while by the bad people. It's actually a very frequent and common thing. And to give kids language early to understand it, to discuss it, to share they've had an experience is really important.
1: I think it was interesting what you say about some people don't encounter these really important topics like racism, for example, until they're in their adult life. Did you feel like you had to do this to start this company kind of in the absence of decent school curricula? You know, state by state, I guess it it differs so much. But we're having these debates about critical race theory, etc. And so many states won't even talk about it. Did you feel like there was a kind of a gap there that really needed to be filled?
0: 100%. The reality is, even for those well-meaning adults who think these conversations should be happening. They don't know often how to have them, how to start them. And this goes for teachers. this goes for parents, this goes for coaches, this goes for grandparents, aunties, uncles, you name it. And that's just the folks who want to have the conversation. Imagine the whole swath of people who don't. And I'll give you an example. you know, here in Oregon, there are a number of schools and school districts that are just banning books. I'm banning books on Rosa Parks, you know, um, like that's bonkers to me, but that's sort of the, the state that we live in. And so we thought these books were desperately needed. And to some extent, I had to ask myself, why haven't these existed before in this way? And, and I think ultimately, these are the kind of stories that had to be told by someone marginalized someone who was a minority someone who's been held back in life who's been disadvantaged right who's been discriminated against and so we've made it a really intentional a part of our approach to bring in the marginalized the disadvantaged to have a really diverse cohort of authors podcast hosts um teachers for our classes um that embody all those voices that got left out Hmm. Right. When the history books were written, when the kids' books are written, when the curriculum's written, you know, we wanted to give them their voices back. We wanted to give them a stage. And it turns out the things they want to talk about are the most fundamental and important topics that kids could ever hear. So the
1: authors of your books are presumably people who have personally gone through
0: kind of some of these issues. Correct. Yeah. Um that's again, that's really important to us. There's A defense, if you will, in the personal story, our book on depression doesn't say everything there is to say about depression, nor should it, nor can it for a six-year-old, but what it can do is tell Kylie McLevane's story. It can tell her personal story and extrapolate some bits and pieces out of there and give a starting place for a kid to have a conception of what it means to live with depression or to be around someone who's experiencing depression, Right and let the conversation ensue from there. And so that's across all of our books. And that's our gender series with um, a really wonderful organization called The Gender Cool Project that we did. Uh, the books on being transgender, being inclusive, and being non-binary, all written by teenagers who identify as such. And it's an amazing collection of books. And man, where are the books written by teenage transgender kids? They don't exist, right? Right nor do they exist to be written to talk to six, seven, and eight-year-olds. But I can tell you what, I've got kids, and they're in school, and you know what they're talking about? They're talking about how they identify. They're talking about gender, but they're talking amongst themselves, right? And at some point, us adults have to join the conversation and be a part of it and create stories that are empowering for kids.
1: Yeah, talking about empowerment, part of your company's ethos is Who a teen wants to be, right? Rather than what they want to be when they grow up. Why is that so important? And what kind of impact do you think that will have on future generations?
0: I think it really comes down to labels. You know, when we are reduced to what we do, doctor, lawyer, chemist, janitor, publisher, podcast host, right? Instead of who we are, it's reductive. And I think there's an age where you still have dreams about who you want to become, what kind of person you want to be in the world that isn't just occupational. And we want to spark kids' imagination and their potential future showing other individuals who fully realize themselves, right? And not the most famous people in the world, but really wonderful, genuine mentors for them that sort of show, hey, like, Maybe this is accessible to you. And when I say this, it's not the career necessarily. It's that way of being, right? For me, when I realized that I could make up my own job, right, which is basically entrepreneurship, I was enthralled and it had nothing to do with money. It had everything to do with who I wanted to be, which was to be creative and innovative and out there in the world making things. And so that's why we focus on the who and not the what.
1: Could you talk a little bit about, you know, your your kind of past life, right? You left your previous company, Circle Media, that, that you also founded, to start a kid's company about. Was that a challenging move? And why did you think that you really had to do
0: it? First, it wasn't challenging at all. In some ways, it should have been. I'm really thankful that it wasn't. It was so easy because I knew the gap that I was going to try and fill with these books and ultimately the media that we would make as a company. By having seen how people responded, especially my own kids, my five kids at the time, and then eventually my 6 how they've responded to my own book, a kid's book about racism. And so it was was really about legacy. What legacy am I going to leave behind? And while I love the thing that we built at Circle, that was fine. I was going to grow and keep going. But these books, they weren't going to exist. They just weren't. And I wasn't worried about competition. Oh, somebody's going to get there first. It was, oh, no, these stories may never get told. I have to go tell them and i have to go tell them now and so i left not only the company that i started but the highest paying job i'd had ever had and a bunch of equity on the table to, to hopefully go do a thing that was going to make a difference i didn't know whether the money was going to work out i didn't know whether i was going to get investors i didn't know if any of it was going to happen but i had to it wasn't even a question of should i or shouldn't i it was i have to and in that way it was a really easy decision
1: and what kind of demographic is buying your books and reading your books you know are you in a way are you kind of preaching to the choir are you kind of selling <laughs> books to people that are already open to hearing about these things you know how do you get the message to people who are not yeah. uh, willing to buy books and perhaps not willing to learn about these things and really who who need that education in in, in the first place
0: yeah you know I, I i fought long and hard about this and and even when we started the company, I, I really hoped that we'd be able to sort of reach on both sides of the aisle, right? Reach into the, not just the coast, but the middle of America mm-hmm. um, to do a cross-section of of ideologies and beliefs and socioeconomic status, race, gender, you name it. And, you know, my hope is that we've done that and done that because of who we've brought to the table, right? Is we have activists writing our books. We have Young non-binary kids writing our books. We have pastors writing some of our books. We have mental health professionals writing some of our books, and then we have just got moms and dads and people re- writing our books who have who've never who would never be asked to write a book, but creating those with us. And I think what's amazing is when you anchor into the personal, it turns out things like you know having an anxiety disorder doesn't really sort of cut itself as. Democratic or Republican, right? I think our books are reaching into a lot of places and spaces that they otherwise wouldn't because of the vast nature of the topics. Now, when you get specific, a book like a kid's book about racism or a kid's book about systemic racism or a kid's book about white privilege, now you start to see potentially a specific demographic. And what we've saw from a sales, like a pure sales data perspective is that the moment that george floyd was murdered and that video was released of him we saw a whole group of people who never concerned themselves with race or racism or culture or color who just sort of said that's old news we're post racial obama was president can't we just move on they watched that video and all of a sudden the conversation just flipped for them and it did two things one they were like oh this is real and then two how do I talk to my kids about this? And literally the chart of our sales, and these aren't black parents. These aren't coastal parents. These are middle America, white parents who are going, oh my God, racism is real. And I got to talk to my kid. And so the chart just goes straight up. Hmm. Literally we doubled and then doubled and then doubled and then doubled the next day, just literally compounding itself because folks were scrambling with a way to start that discussion. And we've seen that happen again and again with different kinds of books that we have in our collection, with different moments that happen in our country, where there's a need to start that conversation and maybe a need to start it at the most fundamental level, Yeah. right? At the starting place, not the graduate level degree, the stamp from the beginning sort of, you know, level. It's the, I don't know anything about racism. Where do I start? And especially how do I explain it to my kids?
1: Right, right. Jelani, you you earlier referenced that you're not just about books, you also have podcasts and um, and classes. What's it like to listen to one of your podcasts or to, or to sit in one of your classes? What do kids get out of it?
0: You know, the first thing, and this is something that we pride ourselves on and we, we're very intent about, is we hope the first thing they get out of it is that they're not talked down to. Kids media is obsessed with playing to the lowest common denominator and assuming that If it's not full of poppy colors and high-pitched voices and crazy sugar-filled energy that kids will just tune out, and it turns out that's not true. Kids are just waiting for someone to respect them, to listen to them, to tell them something real. And so we never talk down to kids in our media. The second is that we're going to talk about something that matters. Again, Take a look at any kids' media space, especially kids' podcasts. It's full of fictionalized stories. That's fine. There's a place for that. That's needed. Great. Where are all the true stories? Who's explaining what's happening around the world, right? Whether that's the legislation in Texas around abortion or that's um, what happened in Afghanistan to all over the place, right? Who's explaining this stuff to the kids in media, And respecting them and not talking down to them and not just trying to entertain them. And so what we hope kids find is they're not talked down to, they're talked about with something that's important and that it's awesome to listen to. It's entertaining as hell. It's interesting. They can't wait for the next episode to come out with and they end up better versions of themselves afterwards. So that's the podcast for the classes. We really want kids to see themselves inside of the classes, right? Again, we're not talking down to them. We're talking about something important, but we want them to see themselves so that they can see maybe an older version of themselves that they could look up to, that they'd be proud of to become and engaging with this sort of masterclass style, bite-sized video taught by an instructor on you know, either a career or life skill or a big idea. So is this kind
1: of what you've talked in the past about social emotional learning? Is that what you're referring to?
0: Yeah, social emotional learning is really about being able to cope with and be in touch with one's feelings and in a healthy way. I don't know if you've spent time around kids lately. Everything seems to be begging them to be bad at that. TikTok does not make one good at that, right? Uh, Facebook does not make one good at that. Instagram Definitely does not make one good at that. And that's where kids are spending their time. And look, all those things are fine and they're great and they're okay. As long as they don't destroy democracy, you know, Um, but uh, kids need more, you know? And so the social emotional learning thread weaves throughout everything. So even in a, a kid's class about being a musician, this isn't merely about how to play guitar, which it's not about at all. It's what's the life of a musician like emotionally? What does it feel like to be one? What does it look like practically? And then trying to tie that to a kid's own interests and their own fears, their own aspirations. It's really infused with everything we do.
1: Jelani, I just wanted to um, get to something that, that I saw that you'd written online. Uh, you said that in your books, there are no dragons, Silly bears or cute tales about princesses. What would you say to someone who says, "Well, that is that's what being a kid is about, right? Kids grow up too fast anyway. It's it's about innocence, and uh, they're gonna hit these grim realities sooner or later. So why not kind of preserve that innocence for a little while?" Mm,
0: I hear that a lot, by the way. I get that a lot. Mm. Let kids be kids is what I hear, and my retort is, "Remember what it's like to be." Seven-year-old you, eight-year-old you, nine-year-old you, what was it like? It wasn't dragons and princesses and cuddly bears. It was mom and dad are fighting and I would like them to stop, right? Grandpa died last week and nobody's talked to me about it. It's I'm getting picked on at school, but I know if I say something, I'll get picked on more, right? It's I got called the N-word. I could keep going. Right? These are normal, everyday experiences for every seven-year-old every eight-year-old, and we lie to ourselves when we say it's not happening. We like to pretend that our kids aren't going through it, and yet when we go back to that point in our life, we were begging for adults to take us seriously, to listen to us, to hear us, for someone to share something that really mattered from inside of us. Yes, we want to protect kids' innocence. Yes, we want to provide them the security and comfort they need. But pretending like it's not happening, that's creating more discomfort, more fear than anything. And hey, look, last but not least, there's plenty of tales about dragons and cuddly bears and princesses to go around. They exist. Everyone's making them. Who's telling the other stories for kids?
1: Yeah. Well, Jelani, you're finally, what are next steps? I mean, do you have um, anything on the horizon that you're working on?
0: Yeah, I mean, next steps is um, let's build the biggest, baddest kids' media company that's existed in the last generation. That's the hope. Incrementally, you know, we're really interested in TV. We think there's a lot to do there and stories that just don't exist for kids. We're really interested in other form factors of books, all be it graphic novel, um, long form, whether that's middle grade, YA, or even books on parenting. And then we've got a handful of other things up our sleeve that we're really interested in chasing across the next few years in terms of our digital platform, where a kid's class about exists. We're going to expand that and add lots more content onto that platform as well. So in a lot of ways, the appetite hasn't shrunk to make content. It's only grown um, because of the urgency and how important it is to tell these stories, to highlight these voices and to get it to kids as soon as possible. Well,
1: Jelani, um, lots to think about here. Thank you so much for for taking the time to to tell us all about
0: it. Yeah, my pleasure. This is really wonderful.
1: I have to admit, I was a little skeptical of the concept of talking to kids about such heavy topics. Like we said, racism and you know, death and, uh, you know, sexual abuse. I mean, these are these are really heavy topics for young kids to digest. And, you know, part of me kind of likes this idea of um, childhood being about dragons and cute princesses. But the reality, like Jelani said, is that a lot of kids, if not all kids, are going through really kind of heavy things. It's really worth us thinking about, you know, just starting these conversations for kids and, and not talking down to them. And this idea of not focusing on this question of what do you want to be when you grow up and focusing on careers and and professions, but really asking kids who they want to be, uh, what kind of person they want to be when they grow up. That's it for our show today. Join us next time to learn more about the innovative leaders seeking to make a difference in our ever-changing world. Please give us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Talib Visram. Our show is produced and edited by Avery Miles.